Get Lit. All right, folks, here we go. Welcome back to Get Lit. Uh, we did not get any negative feedback from our new introduction from last time, so we're going to keep welcome. I think it's pretty solid. Um, this is Get Lit, the literary podcast where we analyze various authors throughout history and the famous works of literature that they wrote. Uh, we switch things up this time. I'm the host, Steph Svars, here with my assistant co-host, Junior. John Stricker. Each time we have the introduction, Stephanie is going to demote my position one more. Why does junior mean demotion? As compared to just to, to non-junior, I mean, it Aren't means you the a lesser. Civil engineer or something? No, I'm an associate civil engineer. Oh, so we'll make you the associate. Uh, the associate the assistant co-host, co-host. <laughs> junior. Junior. Perfect. Um, so we. Uh, got to do an amazing podcast about Phyllis Wheatley last week um, and uh, had some really cool conversations kind of based around that about uh, what her legacy means and, and why it's so important to study and, and attribute. So hopefully uh, you enjoyed that. Um, this week we're going to go um, in another female American author's direction um, and we're actually going to do Kate Chopin. So um, this episode will be riddled with French, which is John's worst language of the one language that he speaks, which is English. I'm about 85% fluent in English, so like the rest of the languages are, are so much lower. Than Great. That. Um, so we'll have a lot of fun with our pronunciations, and I'll have John kind of step in. So um, you have read a, a Kate Chopin piece. You hadn't heard much at all about Phyllis Wheatley, but Kate Chopin you're more familiar with. So what do you know about her? I know that she wrote The Awakening. Correct. Um, and that she was an author. Nope. She wasn't. No, but she wrote The Awakening. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, the author wrote the awakening very good that's that's the extent i know she was white so good. that's that's right. that's everything there you go um solid basics for us to start this episode <laughs> with so um yeah we'll buckle up and uh we're headed south we're headed down to the deep south for Yeehaw. a little well i guess we're headed like midwest and then we're headed south ah. but regardless so um Catherine, who's you know we all know her as kate um, O'Flarty, which was her non-married name, um, was born in St. Louis, Missouri in 1850, February 8th, to be precise, of 1850. Um, she is the second child of um, her Irish father, Thomas O'Flarty, and Eliza Ferris, her mother, who is from St. Louis. So Kate's family on her mother's side, the Ferris side, was French, and so Kate actually grew up speaking French and English at home, which I think is really cool, mostly because of how Irish her father's name sounds. So I like the idea of someone speaking French with a, or speaking American, like English, with an Irish accent and French with an Irish accent. Yes. Like, cool. A flarty. Yeah, that's the... That's, that's her last name. Right. Very good. Okay, thank you for that contribution. So, um, from 1855 to 1868, Kate goes to uh, the St. Louis Academy of the Sacred Heart. Um, and she has a lot of female mentors at this time, which I think is really cool. She kind of attributes a very close relationship to her mother, her grandmother, great-grandmother, along with the nuns at the Sacred Heart, um, which was the school. 
And uh, these family members, her sisters, all really contribute to um, the kind of nurturing and very female-centered work that she will write later on in her literary career, which starts kind of relative to the other authors that we've read about and heard about quite late. Mm. Um, so she has all these wonderful female mentors, which are so important, um, ladies or um, anybody kind of listening to this podcast understand how cool and amazing mentors can be for you. Um, look for those people who are going to support your work and, and support you in what you do. I guess that's a very unrelated tangential piece of life advice is find those people whose opinions you respect um, and whose work you admire and stick with them. Um, like Kate did. Be like Kate. Find be your like mentor. Kate. Right. Um, so that's kind of the nicest part about her life <laughs> growing up. Uh, it doesn't doesn't get much better. Uh, kind of pulling from the other American authors that we've heard about, mm. which is literally all of them. Um, in 1855, her father is killed in a railroad accident. Um, and in 1863, her great-grandmother died. Um, she was very close with her great-grandmother. I don't know many people i think in this world are not close to their great great grandmother or their great grandmothers but she was um and then up uh, all of a sudden the civil war breaks out bummer uh, yeah um so this is kind of cool because kate and um our our boy samuel clements aka mark twain are growing up in the same place roughly around the same time and i think that's really cool there's no record of them having ever crossed paths that I know of, at least, but I think it's really cool that, like, maybe they did in St. Louis and, like, didn't know it. I don't know. They did. They stopped in the same, same store. I mean, this is part of our other podcast, the, oh, the literary, literary conspiracy. conspiracy theories. The musical. The musical. I love it. <laughs> so, Kate, um, the Civil War is occurring, and um, in St. Louis, there's a split. It's kind of, it's when one of those middle states, what, is there a name for that? The states that were not on the the it's like kentucky missouri tennessee these are all like the border states but they're called something the border states are they isn't I, there a different name it, it, there might be we'll not, google it yeah we'll find it and all right we'll get back to you guys i'm I, i'm pretty sure that they're not they're not part of the union but they're not the confederacy no 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 this is the ones that stayed in the union stayed in the union mm, okay fine um but the emancipation proclamation didn't count for thinking? slaves okay. there so so if you stayed in the union the emancipation proclamation didn't free your slaves We'll, we'll Google this. We'll do some more research. It's worth a Google or seven. So um, the Civil War breaks out, and um, part of St. Louis is supporting the Union, part can, supports the Confederacy, um, and Kate actually grew up with slaves in the house, but her half-brother enlists in the Confederate Army, um, so she has these leanings and ties, but isn't particularly uh, enamored by life in the war, um, obviously, which most people weren't. Um, so her brother eventually is captured by Union forces and dies of typhoid fever. So these kind of surrounding tragedies have a deep impact on her upbringing. Uh, from 1867 to 1870, Kate keeps a commonplace book, a.k.a. like a journal, um, where she records diary entries. She writes different ideas down. She copies down things that are interesting to her. Um, and in 1869, she kind of writes maybe what is considered like the first little sketch, Emancipation, a life fable. I think that's kind of interesting. So her literary career, although doesn't start until later, clearly 
she's always been a writer of some kind. And um, that's indicative or evident. That's the word evident um, by this little piece in her book. Hmm. So, do you keep a commonplace book? Uh, yes, I have. Well, I just got a new one because I finished my old one, um, and I'm only a handful of pages in. So, I take a lot of notes in there, actually, about Get Lit and all of the plans, and it, it's really fun. That's sort of cool. I, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people I know keep little books like that, and it seems like it's been around then at least since. Kate Chopin's 1869 time. and never before I'm no not one has ever that. had a book no do you have one of course not oh okay I have a journal well what do you what's the difference I think a commonplace book is more about the ideas in your mind whereas a journal is about marking like events oh at least in my mind that's the distinction today I saw a building that would be most of the entries, but I typically only write in my journal when I'm on vacation, traveling. Got it. Yeah. Today, I saw a historic building. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, keep a journal. Life tip number two. This episode is actually dual, uh, dueling, I yeah. guess, serving dual purpose as a uh, life advice podcast. Yeah. Kate Chopin and her life hacks. Right. Ooh. Yeah, all right. So... Life hack from Kate Chopin. Number one, find a female mentor. Number two, carry a commonplace book. Great. So um, she's 19 years old, and um, there's a famous wealthy estate near St. Louis called Oakland. And this is kind of the place where the socialites are going and um, kind of women are coming into society. And it is at one of these events that Kate meets Oscar Chopin from Louisiana. Um, and this is a cool tidbit. This comes from her commonplace book. And she writes, I'm going to be married, married to the right man. It does not seem strange as I thought it, it would. I feel perfectly calm, perfectly collected. And how surprised everyone was, for I'd kept it so secret. Um, the secret? Ah, later that year, Kate and Oscar get married. This is 1870, um, which I think is pretty cool. So she finds this guy, Oscar. They get married. Kate has her new name, Kate Chopin, which she would use for the rest of her life. And um, then they go on a honeymoon. Um, During this time, it's not uncommon for a honeymoon to really just include traveling to see different places. Couples often received money. They used it to travel. So they go to Cincinnati, Philadelphia, New York, and then cross the Atlantic. And they go to Germany and Switzerland and France. This will actually be the only time that um, Chopin goes to Europe is this 1870 tour with her husband. So she goes and visits all of these things, but they come back to the United States and they settle in New Orleans. Again, Oscar is from Louisiana, so they go back down to his family and um, Oscar establishes his cotton factory dealing business and uh, also sells like corn and sugar and molasses and other crops. So he's kind of a trader. She's a woman. So they're both doing their job. Oh, great. great. (laughs) Um, So this is the time, right, 1870, we're hitting the Reconstruction in the South. And economic and racial troubles have a huge influence on um, Kate's kind of middle years in her life. Um, Her family is still wealthy. She's got some money. He's got some money. So they would go to Grand Isle, which is a Creole resort in the Gulf of Mexico. They would vacation. They had homes um, and were very wealthy. So her life uh, definitely was better than some during this time period because of her socioeconomic status. Um, 
1871, so just a year after they get married, kids, because that's what's next. For sure. At this time. Um, So in between this eight-year period, 1871 to 1879, they have five kids, um, or six kids, five sons and a daughter. Um, So their kids are in order of their birth, so oldest to youngest. Um, Do you want to try to pronounce this? Yes, I'm ready. All right, here's the note. Jean Baptist. (laughs) Jean Baptiste. Oh, Oscar Charles? That's Oscar. Oh, no, and I should know. <laughs> Stop overthinking. Okay. George Francis. Yeah. Okay. Friedrich. It's just Frederick. Okay. <laughs> Felix Andrew. And Lilia. Layla. Okay. I think. <laughs> Very good. So it's really just the first son who has a super, super French name. Um, very good. So uh, in 1879, the Chopin, so after all the kids are born, they move to, um, it says Cloutierville, but I feel like it's a French village. So Cloutierville? Cloutierville? I don't know. So they move to the small French village in northwestern Louisiana. um, And her husband tries to start this general store up. Um, unfortunately, he dies of malaria, and that sucks. So That took a right turn. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Kate's 32 at this point, has six kids, and no husband, <gasps> which is kind of a bummer. So she allegedly has, like, a, a romantic affair um, after her husband dies with a planter down in the area, but she doesn't marry him. Uh, so she moves back with all the kids to St. Louis because there are better schools up there and she has more cultural currency up there than she did in Louisiana. So she goes back up there for some extra support. Um, in 1885, her mother dies. So that kind of puts a damper on things, but she does much better. Hmm. Um, she's a really wonderful person. Um, there's a lot of records from the other socialite women that she um, spends her time with and that sort of thing. And uh, people look very fondly upon her time moving back to St. Louis. They call her a remarkable, charming person um, with sparkling brown eyes. She was witty and um, ha- was a very gracious host. She loved music and laughter, dancing, and she was really um, expressive. She also couldn't imitate people like that was her like special skill she could like do imitations i want to meet i want to meet kate Schumann. right yes she'd be i feel like a really fun dinner party guest like if you who in history would you have to dinner if they were dead or something like that right and like she would be a real solid choice yeah like i feel like it would be intimidating to meet like a real idol like if someone was like john you can sit down with kurt vonnegut like would you oh of course okay i i feel like i'd be scared if someone was like you can sit down with audrey hepburn i'd be like i'm too scared but i'd do it yeah of course you would but but like i feel like kate chopin would just be like fun and interesting and and bubbly and a good hostess apparently we'd be like bffs probably yeah for sure she would be the co-host you would immediately get kicked out. I would get kicked out. <laughs> immediately. 
Um, so she's great uh, and everyone loves her. So it's actually around this time that she starts doing her writing for publication. So um, prior to this, her focus is really on her family. She has these commonplace books, but she doesn't do much writing. So her first story kind of appears in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch um, in 1889. And in 1890, she writes her first novel called At Fault. Um, and she publishes this privately. Uh, and after this, she has some success. So she writes a second novel. And it was supposed to have been called Young Dr. Gross and Theo. But um, she couldn't find a publisher for it. And she hated it. So she destroyed the manuscript. And it's never been published. Oh, my gosh. To my knowledge. So that that was her second novel. Um, but she continues to be really popular and active in literary and social circles. And loves discussing the work of famous authors and that sort of thing. Um, including Heigl, Zola, and Sand, uh, which I think is kind of cool. She writes some criticism, actually, of their work. And she maintains this really active social calendar, but now gets really into her work and keeps really accurate records about what she's written, um, what magazine she submitted them to, whether they were accepted and rejected and published and if she got paid for them. So she gets her work published in everything from Youth's Companion and Harper's Young People to Vogue and the Atlantic Monthly Saturday Evening Post. So her work really runs the gambit of highly successful, very publicized, smaller work and everything in between which is pretty cool. Wow. Um, and she does all of this while like raising six kids and being like socially active, which I think is outstanding. Yeah. The first like uh, woman to have it all, right? Yeah. The career, the kids. Like power couple, but yeah. like forget the couple, just be powerful. That's right. Yes, women. So um, she gets her another novel. Uh, technically, it's a collection of short stories called Bayou Folk. And this becomes very successful. It gets written up. Reviewers love it. Um, they really get a big kick out of the local dialects that she used. So Kate Chopin is kind of along the lines of Mark Twain in that she is very naturalistic. She's kind of into this realistic fiction where um, instead of writing about faraway things that no one has access to, she writes about really local character. And so that's really indicative of her work. And I, I, I love personally reading it. I think it's really cool to see these small slices of American life. And she really embraces that in her work. And it makes sense that she was good in the impressions because she could also write right. it down. She could write the, the imitations and oh my gosh, can you imagine her reading? Yeah. Like, if she's reading her own, like, an author reading, and but she can, like, do all the voices. Kate Chopin like, doing good. an audiobook of her own work. I'd re I'd listen yes. immediately. Um, so she continues writing, and she um, writes what many, I think, people are most familiar with of her work, The Awakening. Uh, this is 1898 at this point. So she finishes that novel, and she publishes it in 1899. So we're right at the turn of the century. And although a few critics praised it, largely all of the reviews were really negative. It was morbid. It was unpleasant, sordid. It was someone called it poison, which I think is pretty wild. But kind of universally, this book gets panned. It takes decades for anyone to recognize the novel for, in my opinion, and I guess this is, again, a product of the time, what I think of it as, um, to be really incredible. Um, you know my reaction when I finished The Awakening? I don't. 
It's the only book I've thrown against a wall. Oh well, I liked it. it I'm not. Dis- I'm not saying Your I didn't like it. Not important. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just it 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 brought out strong feelings in me. So I understand so why the 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 critics were so reactive because it is highly Amazing. emotional and good. <laughs> I'm yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, you, so it sounds like you reacted like the critics did. Yeah, I did. And again, like... How do you feel about that? What do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) I think it was a natural reaction. I mean, thinking more on it, and I mean, it was an initial gut reaction because I'd become so invested in the book Mm. that uh, the turn at the end really made me upset. No spoilers, folks, but I would highly recommend reading The Awakening. Yes. um, If you have not. Um, I love her work. This is a total sidebar. Um, So much. uh, I just pretty much use all this work that I really like to kind of supplement and add little jewels to my curriculum that I teach. Um, I actually put her her short story, The Story of an Hour, which is one of my favorites, onto my final exam for my sophomore classes to expose them all because we don't get to read Chopin. So I was like, you guys are going to read this. It's part of your final now. Um, so again, totally unrelated. All of my classes read real good literature, in my opinion. <laughs> or I try to get them in there. Um, so it gets universally panned. Um, it takes so many years for people to really understand the significance of her work. Um, so again, this is 1899. Uh, she writes again a couple years later. Uh, this is 1904. So Kate buys a season ticket for the St. Louis World's Fair um, because it's in St. Louis. So, like, who isn't going to this? It's like the social event of 1904, probably. That's right. Um, And so she goes. It's really hot because it's summer. So Saturday, August 20th, um, she returns home from having a delightful time at the fair, and she's very tired. And she talks to her son and she's like hey I'm not feeling so well I have this really bad headache um and so he advises that she goes to the doctor which she does and the doctors think she has a cerebral hemorrhage and things go downhill very quickly she goes unconscious and dies the next day on August 22nd and is buried in St. Louis today oh my that and that's the end (laughs) Sorry, that was kind of fast. Is the moral of the story, don't go to this, the World the Fair? The World Fair? Well, on there, a hot day? There are none World Fairs anymore, so <laughs> you can't go to them. Um, yeah, no, I think the moral of the story, um, life hacks from Kate Chopin, just be a general badass and do live your life, raise yeah. your kids, write your stories, like do what you want. Also acknowledging, though, that she is socioeconomically advantaged and white. So that's just two disclaimers there. Um, But she really did a lot for a woman uh, at her time. She was writing. She was writing powerful stuff. She was putting women in her novels. She was bringing them to the forefront. She wrote about women's sexuality quite frequently, which, again, very controversial subject at this time. So um, she wrote about what she wanted and it made her successful and people still read. And I think talk a lot about her work today when they're talking about women's rights and kind of the evolution of how people really understood women as individuals instead of associates of their husbands, brothers, fathers, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Their male counterparts. Right. So that's kind of, that's Kate Chopin being freaking awesome. (laughs) (laughs) She's awesome. (laughs) 
Is that all? You don't have it. You're not going to agree that she's awesome. I, yes, she's very awesome. I still threw oh, the awakening <laughs> against a wall, but from what I've learned here, she's quite a woman. Quite amazing. Quite amazing. Um, Stephanie, I have a question for you. Okay. Kate I Chopin. Might cut this. Okay. Related to the Frederick Chopin. The what? Frederick Chopin, the piano player. Sure. Chopin mania. No, that wasn't a thing. <laughs> It was actually list mania, but Chopin was a contemporary <laughs> of Chopin. But Chopin also wrote music too. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Probably not, but we could look into that. We need to. All right, we'll Google those two things. I can't remember what the first one was, but we'll re-record and look at it. Border states. That's yeah, border states. That's what it was. So um, yeah, Kate Chopin being awesome. Feel free to um, reach out to us. Let us know how we're doing, what we're doing, if you like it, if you don't. Um, Because we love doing this for you. And uh, can't wait. We've got some pretty cool episodes planned for the future, including our first ever uh, competitive, um, I guess, version of the podcast where we're actually going to pit Thoreau and Emerson against one another and battle it out. So we're really looking forward to doing that. I think we all know who has an edge here. Who? Whoever I pick, right? Yeah, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Funny that you think that. So um, we look forward uh, to recording those in the future for you. And um, live like Kate. Keep it lit. Yeah. Like this podcast. <laughs> Thank you, as always, for keeping it lit. <laughs> Bye.